Welcome to Waveframe. Hello and welcome back to Waveframe. It's been a while. We're excited to be back. This is a podcast where we talk about movies and music. My name is Isaac. And my name is Luke. Today we are talking about uh, the one and only For Emma Forever Ago, the yes. debut album from Bon Iver, or as some say, Bon Iver. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is the other winner going back to our March Madness competition that you guys voted on. Uh, we Our last episode was on The Princess Bride, which was the winner uh, voted in of the tournament for the movies. And now this is the music album that was voted in. This was submitted by um, John Vanderplug. And so thank you, John, for that submission. And we hope you're listening uh, to our thoughts on your pick for today's uh, talking point. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people probably think that Boney Bear, Boney Bear was his first album. But it was for True. Emma. The self-titled is misleading. Yes. Before we get into it, we have a guest with us, a very special guest, Shanley Smith. Hello. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited <laughs> to be here. Thanks for, thanks for chilling with us. Oh, and we have another guest in the room, which is Fitz the dog. Yeah, you'll probably hear him whining at, at some point. He's <laughs> pretty high maintenance. <laughs> well, tell us just a little bit about yourself for the people who don't know you. Yeah, totally. Uh, so to give some context, I've known Isaac and Luke for a pretty long time now, long enough that they have all sorts of embarrassing blackmail on me. Um, <laughs> I think it which goes gets, both ways. <laughs> that's true, I guess, which is which is why we remain good friends, that that and many other uh, reason. better reasons. Yeah. I would say probably freshman year of high school, right? Yeah, freshman year of high school for, for me and Isaac, and then dating way back uh, eons into middle school sixth for grade, me and Luke. Yeah. yeah, sixth grade. You guys were dating in sixth grade? We were dating. We were, I no. I wish I was so popular as to have had boyfriends in middle school. But Shailen, that would be you a and fable. I did a we did a book swap where you convinced me to read The Lightning Thief and no 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 it was yeah I convinced you to read The Lightning Thief and you got me to read the Gregor the Overlander series. Oh, that's a good trade. Grade. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's a really good trade. Wow. And that was the beginning of that was the beginning of, of a friendship. Friendship and Luke and I beginning to to culture each other. <laughs> I think honestly, the beginning of of me getting into music was probably from from Luke. Uh, he got me into Muse, which was like my first first big psych for music. And they have a they have a song called Psycho. Oh yeah. wow! Look, I'm just connecting the dots, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we're gonna be talking about forever, eh, for Emma, forever ago. Uh, which technically came out in like 2007, but 2008 when it which, actually came out. When I was looking at that, that was felt longer to me than I had thought because to, to place that, I was like 11 years old when that came out. And that seems like I don't consider Justin Vernon, who is Boney Vare, to be like that old or anything. Yeah, I mean, he's probably 40s, 50s. No, he can't be 50s. He's probably 42. That's my guess. Old enough to have a, a receding hairline, for sure. <laughs> you don't need to be that old to have a receding <laughs> this hairline. This is true. This is true. <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, I mean, but here's the thing. We were, people in our grade and around us were listening to this album in our high school years, and we were not 
11 then. <laughs> <laughs> that's just my way of saying like it was still relevant. And so that's probably why it doesn't Very feel much so. as old. Well, So this album is like a staple of the indie folk alt yes. movement mm-hmm. of the day. Yes. This, this album set a lot of standards. And I'm looking forward to talking about that with both of you guys today. I am too. But honestly, this album for me, out of Boni Veris, he has four full length albums to date. And this is the one that I listened to it tied for last, honestly for me so what is your guys's initial exposure to this album and what has your experience been with it i think my initial exposure was i think it just happened to be downloaded on on my ipod video back in the day because i had all of my brother's brother's music downloaded so i think my brother introduced me accidentally to bon Iver. um and I, I think I remember getting into it in, in early, early high school. So definitely years after it was made, but definitely strong sentimental ties. I mean, it has that classic kind of understated indie feel that's mm-hmm. just kind of ready for nostalgia, even on the first listen. That's a unique way of saying that. I think you're right. I, I, I can't even imagine listening to this for the first time because it just feels like everybody's listened to at least a song or two off of this album, if not the whole album. And you say classic indie feel. It'd be interesting to talk about talk to someone who was like our age, like in their 20s when this came out, because I don't know if it felt classic at the time. It probably felt really fresh and new in some ways. Um, but I think a lot of what people think about with this album is the story and now like romanticized mythos around this album's creation like you guys yeah i mean you, you guys know the story for the, those who don't it a lot of albums you don't know like the story behind it like if you think of uh like alt j's you know relaxer i don't know how they made it really like they could have been on tour they could have been in their studio i don't really know but this one's a pretty i'd say really famous story of Bon Iver's lead singer and lead creative uh, person, Justin Vernon, uh, in like 2006, 2007, he, not all the specifics, I did not know until I researched it recently, but a lot of people know the basics of like, he went into a cabin in the woods and created this album, like during a breakup or after a breakup. I didn't know that he had mono right before that and also pneumonia and he had like almost liver failure or something. And so he was going through a lot. And also his, like, previous band was splitting up with, like, his friends from middle, I think, high school, like, adolescent, like, years. So he had a lot going on. And I think that's really interesting context to this album. You guys knew about that, right? Yes. I I knew about the cabin aspect, the the mono pneumonia liver liver failure that's all new news to me though <laughs> uh, yeah it's very individual well and even so i i think it's really cool it, it's almost without knowing that but you get like that's not surprising when you listen to the no, album i think not. because and, and everything about the production of this album is him he's recording all by himself he's doing except for like i think like the brass mm-hmm. uh, pretty much on one of the tracks he's doing everything himself he just has i was yeah i was doing some research as well he used one microphone actually the microphone 
right in front of me right now Ooh, is the microphone that he used. Wow. <laughs> you feel cool. Um, so cool. So I am Justin Vernon. Um, but he, and then he produced it all himself too. This was not professionally done, quote unquote yeah. professional. And he originally recorded these as kind of demos in the cabin to re-record at a later date after pitching them to record labels before he talked to friends and other, and yeah, bandmates, collaborators. And they were like, just release this. This is good. This is you. It's authentic. Yep. And uh, I don't know, as I was thinking about this, I, it made me reminisce on some of our conversations, Isaac, recently about movies that we've had on the podcast. And a common theme recently that we've brought up is about, you know, studios and creative direction and when studios and directors might clash, when they might come together. Together. And this, in a sense, is like a big win for the creative process because mm. it's just Justin Vernon, no producer or record label twisting it. Um, but also, I won't get into it yet, but I think there are some negative sides to that as well. Ooh. But mm. uh, so the fact that he went alone to a cabin and then did this all himself yeah. um, is very, I think, fitting for the overall tone of the album that comes across in that. I certainly remember as a young romantic future English major being enticed by this story of this modern Thoreau going into the woods and making his own, uh, you know, creative outlet in this album. But I, I think it was interesting in my research, he at the time didn't feel that way. He said for like a month he drank beer and watched TV and then got like sick of himself doing that and then started recording and even then he wasn't sure it was going to be an album. He just started like eight hours a day, just like really pounding out these songs. And so, I mean, when you're in that space of like probably super depressed going through a breakup and all that like physical ailment to go with it, you're probably in this like not romanticized. I think after the fact, we've really made it this like pleasing creative story of, Oh, if only I had all of the modern things gone in my life, then I could be this magnum opus of a person. I don't know. It's kind of a myth for a reason, I think, in my mind. Yeah. What do you guys consider strengths of the album? Or it, whether it's specific tracks or specific elements, what do you think really stands out to you that makes... Because if I have it right, I do think that both of you feel favorably about this album. Do I have that... Right. Totally. That, yeah. I love this album. Yeah. So, what do you think works about this album and makes it makes it uh, you know that legendary status, so to speak, <laughs> or just what appeals to you? I think one of the things that's interesting for me about this album that kind of just came afresh to me just over the past week, starting to re-listen to it and revisit it, was even though I remember it so fondly for a lot of its specific tracks, I think when I think of it. I don't often think of it as a breakup album, mm. which is interesting, but just going back and spending some time with the lyrics and rereading it and realizing, oh, this is totally meant to be supposed to be a breakup album, but it kind of transcends just the typical cliches of what a breakup album is. Um, and maybe part of that is just the way that Boney Bear or Justin Vernon has a way of abstracting himself from the lyrics i mean sometimes they can just be plain hard to decipher and understand i agree with that yeah <laughs> but at the same time i think it kind of works in his favor because it becomes i i think it just transcends what what we think of as a breakup album yeah. so how would you say he does that what are some things that are transcending the genre of breakup album i guess that's a whole genre <laughs> yeah yeah it, it is. is a whole genre yeah <laughs> i think I mean, even down to what we could call like the most 
cliched song from the album, like Skinny Love, which just, I mean, I think within indie culture has been just yeah, absolutely yeah. ripped apart, which probably <laughs> deserves its own it, conversation. It didn't start out that way. No fault of Bony Bears. Yeah. No fault yeah. of Bony Bears. <laughs> yeah. You're right, Isaac. Yeah, it yeah. didn't start out that way. Um, and I think just looking at the lyrics of that song, yeah, Justin Vernon says it's a breakup song, but I think it becomes so much more potent. Like it can be about any like malnourished thing that that didn't reach fruition and and got away yeah so it reaches that that sweet spot of being specific enough that it's about something right but also broad enough that it can appeal to a lot of different people who aren't going through that specific situation which is what so many musicians just strive for with everything that they have to get there absolutely i really think that some of my favorite music is like okay i i could probably tell that this is about somebody's mother dying but at this point in my life like i'm a friend is leaving my life for whatever reason so i can relate to it in that way and like you apply it to your life in the in a different way than the artist applied it to their life yeah which i think is what you're talking about the transcendent Mm -hmm. piece Mm -hmm. there and it's interesting to think about well we've talked about that i know isaac before about the national and we've referenced that on the podcast but and the way that they write songs is that they come up with the the melodies and the rhythms first, and then they add lyrics kind of free association style. Mm. Bon Iver, at least for this album, worked very similarly, where he just kind of wrote these songs with just melodies, um, and then he put the words to them after. And I wonder, I mean, maybe this is, are we able to say that's the best <laughs> lyrical style to, to achieve that transcendent nature? Because it feels like there's a lot of supporting evidence for it. <laughs> um. I, I would say for me, it's my favorite style, but I don't know. Other people might think this is super alienating, but I think the way that this is not alienating is because there's so much raw emotion. Mm-hmm. Like he's not abstract in the, in the emotion he gives. Mm-hmm. He's, he's abstract in his lyrics sometimes. And even like, I've li- we've listened to this album for so long and sometimes I'm like I don't really know what that means and somebody else's interpretation of that I don't even like the way they're interpreting it but I would say that the reason why skinny love and lump sum and um you know re colon stacks what do you want to call that restacks I don't know this is actually some of his most co coherent titles for titles yeah exactly um I think I think the reason why those stick so much is because you have abstract lyrics with straightforward and and really powerful raw emotion. Mm-hmm. I think moving away from lyrics now, um, I'm curious to hear and talk about. So this album is very uh, lo-fi is a is a way of describing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, so I talked about before. I think maybe a negative of having no producer, but. Um, this is a very lo-fi album that it feels very homegrown and very, uh, you know, one man about that. And I think that that for this album, it is not a detriment. I think that it works really well to expose that vulnerability. And because this is an album that, of course, it wasn't the first one to do this, but it really did was one of the first ones to break out in the recent years of having that style of feeling and vibe based on the production and the way it was made. Um, but I, the thing is that I hold against it kind of, and I I hesitate to say hold it against it because it's not its fault, but I think it paved the way for a lot of artists who aren't that good (laughs) to do very low to pursue lo-fi and be like, oh yeah, it's just vulnerable, you know? It's like bony bear, but it's like, (laughs) well, actually it's just not that good. (laughs) 
Well, here's the thing. I personally wouldn't fault Bon Iver for that. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to have that with any popular thing. After mm-hmm. the Born Identity came out, Shaky Cam was super popular. <laughs> or I guess that was first Born Supremacy. But, like, you know, that's that's their fault. That's mm-hmm. the other people's fault. Mm-hmm. And you can't really avoid that, I feel. I don't know. I think it's interesting because there's also the, there's the element of what it's recorded, but also the way that he did this was so creative. So, for example, the first song, Flume, um, it, and it has this rattle of the string guitar mm-hmm. that happens when, uh, I know Isaac, we were just talking about this with friends, but that happens when the the strings are too close or too far away from the neck of the guitar. <laughs> but he turns that into a recurring effect and you'll hear this like buzzing that comes like in and out yeah. throughout mm-hmm. that song. And the way that then he took this lo-fi element of what some might consider like this amateur recording huh. and he made that an integral part of the song as a staple of it. I think even just goes to show that there's a level of intentionality besides just being, oh, I'm stripped back and vulnerable. Oh, no, I'm using this style to be very particular in mm-hmm. what I'm making and what I'm evoking out of the audience that's listening to this. I think it's interesting doing research. He said that he had like a hard drive or something. I'm getting the story wrong, but I'm paraphrasing. Like, And he lost a bunch of his songs that he wrote before going to the cabin. Oh, and so then he, painful. yeah, exactly. And then he like buried the laptop or something in the snow. And he said that was good for him because then he could embrace those features you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The features of like, oh, going away from what I think the structure I, I, he used to use and embracing those things you get from having, I don't want to say handicaps, but limitations. And often art, good art is not an endless like ideas it's it's limitations yeah yeah i think about that that kind of reminds me just thinking of bony bear on a, a broader spectrum with his work um i don't know if you guys are familiar with this but but he claims that over four albums time he made it his intent to write an album for every season going all the way back to for emma forever ago mm-hmm. and just thinking about that commitment of like this album and the next three albums are all going to be set to <laughs> a season. Like in some ways feels so constricting for me, but I mean, obviously really didn't, didn't hold him back. <laughs> Do you know what seasons he assigned to each album? I'm assuming that this album is winter. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is. Yeah. He did it just in, in typical um, order. So this okay. one's winter and then the self-titled would be spring. spring. And then 22 million being summer. And then his last one, which I think is just pronounced I, I, yeah, I, I, comma I. I, comma <laughs> I, that's supposed to be fall. That's the one I spent. Definitely that's the I did not know that. The, the fourth I, one. I, okay. Yeah. That's probably my favorite, favorite one of his. Thus far. Really? I'm, okay. I'm bringing us away from, from no, our subject. Love it. Love it. Well, yeah, we I love, love it that album. Chart it in the trajectory. Where does this fall for you as a part of, seeing him this is his first album this was you know he was writing this when he was you know quote like nobody so to speak nobody knew of him he wasn't making yeah. it big and then this catapulted him into success yeah but how how do you think this compares uh differentiates from his other work um i think of like that lo-fi sound in a way i think immediately goes away with the self-titled album it's a yeah. lot more high quality production um 
a lot of the staples that I think of Bon Iver for me because my first exposure was the self-titled are is this really clean electric guitar that mm. you hear on songs like Perth that start that album and those aren't a huge part of this one it's a lot more acoustically driven much more of that layered vocally driven so it, it feels very different to me I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on where it falls for you within his discography it used to be probably my second favorite or actually maybe first favorite I don't know it, I, I would go between the self-titled and this one and then when 22 a million came out that felt like some sort of my Toy Story 3 <laughs> which <laughs> I mean like I was I was too young when Toy Story 3 came out but I felt like I was old enough when 22 a million came out to like kind of appreciate it so I think 22 a million might be my favorite with the Bon Iver self-titled and for Emma forever ago, like about the same in my head. Depends on my mood. I don't know. Mm. What about you? I think the, the self-titled definitely has the most of a sentimental place in, in my heart. I love that album for that. So I think it probably has the strongest ties there. Um, but a really close second for me then is his newest album. Um, I just think, I think in some ways it, he kind of finds this happy place between his ultra experimental of 22 million and then still kind of going back to some of his more understated lo-fi mm-hmm. um, notes that he has in For Emma Forever Ago. Um, so I appreciated that. And then just I think his more heady kind of spiritual exploration that he has indulged himself in and in both of his last two albums but especially in in his latest album is something that's been 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 really key for me um but yeah for for Emma forever ago I still have such such fondness for um even though it's not necessarily in like my top one or two Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm never, I'm never upset when any Bon Iver album comes on, and and this was his beginning, and I think one of the things that it really has going for it is, at least in my imaginings, is you get to see kind of some of his influences or some indie predecessors at work. Um, I can't remember which piece it is, but there's one piece that starts off with kind of some like choral ooze in it that feels very folksy Fleet Fox to me. Oh um, yeah, definitely. I I wish I could remember which one it was. Maybe it's is it Creature Fear that starts off that way, but I mean, I think he, I, in I I just did some research today, but he was inspired by um a prestigious boys choir before yeah, Vienna. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. totally. I can and, see that. And uh, I think you can I, I think even like there's a song with him and James Blake called like Wolf Creek. Mm-hmm. choir or something like that i i'm gonna be so sad that i don't remember that name fully because that's a great song but yeah it's interesting to hear him really lean into all of the falsetto harmonies he's going for in this album and yeah well and this is not a long album it's what nine nine tracks uh of, of less than 40 Depending minutes on wisconsin yeah. or whatever <laughs> the bonus track yeah uh and it does it it carry it feels very cohesive but there is such a, a bevy of styles that's in this you've got those layered vocals yeah this like very uh western uh, choral mm-hmm. sound but also this indie sound and then you've got the folk sound the even the the style of guitars he's using um it's actually very similar to um a lot of the 
same guitars that Taylor Swift used on Folklore, for mm. instance, going for that more like folk stripped backed mountain sound in a way. Um, so it all comes together. And I do think this album is is an incredible statement of fusion of those styles and i'm you know i'm sure there's albums that came before that maybe did that but this does it so well and i think really set a a tone and and a statement of what could be done uh with that for the first time i was gonna say and i feel you get there's some there's so few touches of the the brass which i feel like later Mm -hmm. becomes bony very staple but that was something that i had kind of forgotten about and re-listening to it just remembering how stripped back it was and then at the very end of the album you get some really strong taste of the brass and just kind of that foreshadowing of of the bony bear that we all kind of stereotypically (laughs) know yeah the glory to come i'm so glad he wasn't a one hit wonder with this album totally it's really cool that he's been able to have quality albums and i think you know he takes his time with his albums which is great i will say that this album has probably my favorite song of Bony Bears, which is re stacks. I mean, whatever you want to call it, regarding stacks, um, is probably my favorite Bony Bear song. I I think that like the imagery of the 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 black crow and like fakes a toss of the keys. I I just for some reason think that's such a great end to the album. And I, I think Wisconsin's fine as a bonus track, but I, I I keep coming back to that song over and over. I think for such a, a I mean, kind of just overwhelmingly sad album in some senses or somber album, I guess, would maybe be a less less biased term for it to have restacks at the very end. It kind of reminds me of total just beach vibes, almost something really? about it feels wow. very almost glimmer of like a brighter season to come. Mm. Um, I would say warm and hopeful, but I never thought of beach. It, something about how he uses the guitar in that uh-huh. and then just the warm, warm brass to it uh-huh. gives me, I don't know, some sort of beach, beach Cali vibes. <laughs> it feels very warm to me. <laughs> it is warm, yeah. <laughs> Would you guys have standout songs from this album? I believe is it Wolves that just fades into Creature Fear? Is oh, that yeah. it? That's or no. Uh, Creature, Creature Fear, Fear that goes fate. into mm-hmm. Team. I I love that, which is like Very cheating because it's not one song, but the like flow from one to another. Oh, yeah. And then I'm such a sucker for whistling oh, really? in songs. And I love that there's just one song that's only whistling. I think it's great. I am a fan of Blindsided. I really like the atmosphere that's created in that song. Um, and then I, I agree with you, Isaac, that Restax is uh, a really standout one for me from this album. Um, and yeah, it, it does bring that sense of finality and closure to the album that helps it be cohesive and we've talked again before a through line of our podcast is what keeps us coming back is Mm. how something ends and does it end in a way that makes you want to come back for more and a closer inspection and i think that restacks does that very well and that helps this be a timeless album because of that yeah we all missed out on that with game of thrones (laughs) (laughs) that's why nobody's going back to game of thrones no one's rewatching that or harsh reality yeah i've never had the desire to really rewatch like the new star wars trilogy that much because i did not like the way it ended and things like that so yeah i think that really affects the way you return to something Hmm. when when do you guys listen to this album when you're feeling sad or when you're in Hmm. winter or when when do you find the urge or when is it best to listen to 
I'm going to be honest. I don't have the urge to listen to this album a whole lot. I think that I, I, I do believe it's a good album. I don't think it's as high for me as it is for the two of you. Um, it does fall for me probably at last of my Bon Iver albums mm-hmm. uh, and my, my favorites. Um, but that's the fact that I can say it's my least favorite Bon Iver album and also say I think it's a very good album just goes to show his quality as mm-hmm. a songwriter and musician. Just, I mean, yeah, we haven't really talked about that, but the the choral ability that he does with his harmony layering and just even these little flares on his his simple lo-fi guitar quality, but the little flare picking he does, like he's got talent and he is a very talented musician uh, to be able to pull something like this off. Sometimes I'm most... Um, impressed with artists who can have a great idea. I guess the way, the best way for me to describe this is like, if I, if I created and I drew a photorealistic picture of this cup on this table, like that's super impressive, but there's not like an idea behind that. You could have just taken a picture of the cup. And so I think that I'm so impressed by artists who who take what they have and the idea is more impressive mm-hmm. than the like skill. And I also love about this album is that he did not think this was going to be like a super popular amazing album. He was just super vulnerable and personal and I think that's sometimes what everyone's lacking with putting out stuff on Instagram or putting out stuff on Twitter or or mm. even Visco or whatever it's like you're thinking too much about what people are going to think about the things you create when really he said it was kind of like a quiet conversation between him and the mic and I think that that's what a lot of people are missing is this intimacy almost mm. with yourself I hear that <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that's why a lot of people gravitated toward this was because it helped them because because honestly I'm surprised that people don't make when we were in high school, people didn't make fun of this album besides the like, Oh, I'm going to fall asleep. Like, like, um, and I'm kind of surprised at that because it, it's, it's so vulnerable that yeah. it would almost be easy for a high schooler person to make fun of somebody who listened to Bonnie Bear. So the fact that we had like people who played football who were like, yeah, I like Bonnie Bear. It was like, what? Yeah, it, <laughs> That's crazy. Cut through and transcend. Yeah. <laughs> That's all, really all crazy. that high school stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, yeah, there's a lot of baggage with like you know uh, hipster bony variants type stuff, but honestly, when you strip all that away, what you have is a really quality musician with quality music. That's very true. Well put, well put, Isaac. <laughs> Hit the nail on the head right there. Any closing thoughts? How would you rate this album out of ten? That's a classic. I, I mean. I would rate it like a nine or maybe even a 10. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you said that so casually. That's, that's not a bad Almost thing. I'm just, I'm just blown away. Uh, we've never gotten a 10 on the podcast before. Wow. I just, am, I, well, I, I'm like, it's perfect demographic because I think the story around it mm. is enrapturing and the music is just as good as the story around it. And I think there's a lot to dive into and, to like get get repeat lessons out of this i like lyrics that are abstract enough for me to listen multiple times and get different things depending on my life stage and i think that yeah it it might have 
created some annoying personalities for a while and I might have been part of that like annoying personality group uh subgenre of like how do you say it? is it you Claire or Claire where he's from Wisconsin there's like that festival mm-hmm. like a person who's super 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 into Bon Iver and like thinks he's god on earth I don't think that but like I really really appreciate the fact that like it took some believing in himself to even create these songs. And when you're in a depressed state and physically you feel horrible and mentally you feel horrible, uh, it's, it's really hard to create. And sometimes creating is like the best thing to do when you're in that state. And he said, Emma isn't so much his ex-girlfriend. He said, it's a, uh, and I think this is a, this is a, quote that he actually said but like it's a state of being it's a place where you are and so he was he's talking about like the the he said i think eternal feels like you're going to be in eternal pain when you're in that place and so the fact that you can create something memorable and beautiful out of that i think is just amazing (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's this uh there's this writer that i really like that's pretty influential to like memoir writers and he always talks about the the white hot center of things and how the ultimate goal is to write from the white hot center and i feel like everything that that you've been saying recently isaac about this album is is a lot of Bon Iver accessing that that white hot center, which <laughs> is why it, it reached so many people. And totally. It's kind of untouchable in yes. that sense because people people know he's getting at something something real. Yeah, and I think just because it's super popular doesn't make it bad. No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. I just think a lot of people feel that way sometimes. <laughs> so, Shelly, what's your definitive rating? <laughs> I I would go a cold like seven out of ten. I really like this album, but I think especially when I hold it up to some of his later works, um, and granted some of those later works definitely are probably shaded by my emotional bias in connection to them, but I would give it a good seven out of ten. Like he's he's headed somewhere good and he's indulging in new things, but but I know now that Boney Bear was capable of, of much greater, in my opinion. So I'll, I'll give him a seven for this. The good stepping stone. The good stepping stone. Absolutely. Seven. I, I come in right with you on that, I think. I put it right at a seven uh, on a good day. On a bad day, a six. <laughs> but on a good day, I give it a seven. If, if Restacks I listened to on the day I died, I'd be pretty happy. <laughs> like, that's how I feel about that song. So, yeah. So, Shanley, thanks again for being on with us today. Uh, you're a part of a few different, uh, you know, artistic collaboratives. Do you want to plug anything while totally. you're on here? Yeah, I would love to plug Dimly Lit. You can find us on Instagram at Dimly Lit Collective, I think. I should know that. It's either <laughs> at Dimly Lit Collective or at Dimly Lit Writers, one of the two. Um, it's a writing platform where a group of artists and occasionally some guest artists gather together, a lot of us from the Midwest, to um, talk slash write about things that people in the Midwest don't typically like to talk about. Uh, oftentimes things like fringe spirituality, fringe um, or spiritual doubts, or the LGBTQ plus community. So check us out. We've got some good stuff, and I'm proud to be a part of that community of writers. I'm a proud follower of that. Thank and I you think so much. that you do some great stuff, and your writing is fantastic, Shanley. So. Thanks, Luke. <laughs>
Um, please follow us on Instagram as long as we're plugging things. Oh, yeah. We should plug ourselves, we're right? We're at Waveframe Pod, and we do some cool art there. Luke does some covers and some music of his own there. Um, and uh, give us a review. We'll, we'll say the review if it's a positive review. <laughs> if it's negative, uh, we might read it, too. Yeah, you never be, know. That'd be fun. Know. <laughs> um, at the beginning of an episode so if you want to like get a shout out that's one great way to do it you can do that in app in a lot of places so yeah cool well thanks everybody for for vibing with us as we talked about 4 Emma Forever Go by Bon Iver. take care see you next time